Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. This is the second episode in our three-part series about criminal justice reform in Oklahoma. In our first episode, we visited with criminal justice policy experts to lay down a foundation of data about the criminal justice system here in Oklahoma. And now in this episode, we're joined by criminal defense attorney and government transparency advocate Brian Jones to talk about the fines, fees, and, well, how our current system kind of creates a trap where people who commit even just a small legal infraction can get caught, and it may take them years or thousands of dollars to get free, if they're able to get free at all. I know for Scott and I, recording this episode was very interesting and very illuminating about some of the realities that Oklahomans face when they are interfacing with our criminal justice system, um, even at, at arguably the lowest levels. So uh, buckle up, and I hope you enjoy. Today we're joined by Brian Jones. Hey. Who has, welcome back. Yeah, good to be back. Been here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, so we wanted to talk about fines, fees, uh, how those relate in Oklahoma to other states, what it means for the people, and uh, and kind of what the impact is. There's been a lot of discussion about ref, uh, uh, reforming the mm-hmm. fines and fees in Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. as, as we were getting ready, you you started to say that maybe a good place to start is by what it means for someone to be on probation. Yeah, just as, as, a, as a practical matter, what happens to a person when they go on probation? Um, well, this is this is how I do it in Oklahoma County. So you, you'll, you'll have the, your, the final day for your client's case. Either it's a regular, regular conference docket or you've set it specially for a plea. There's a lot of paperwork that goes into that. There's um, what's called the Lumpkin Form, which is a very, if, if we're talking about felonies, the Lumpkin Form, named after Court of Criminal Appeals Judge uh, Charles Lumpkin. And uh, it is a stack of pages that a lawyer is supposed to fill out with their client, go through it with them, and explain all the different aspects of what it is to enter a plea. Um, It can get pretty detailed, uh, depending on lots of different factors in the case. There are some specific things you have to go over. For instance, if it's an 85% case and your client is is not going into probation but going into prison you have to let them know this is 85 percent it's it's in the paperwork you have to check that box and what does that mean an 85 percent crime is a crime in oklahoma where the prisoner has to by statute serve 85 percent of the sentence before becoming eligible for parole okay yeah what what kinds of crimes might that be? Imagine about what you would expect. Ba- um, bad ones, uh, you know, murder, uh, rape, bad. one, rape, you know, the sex sex offenses are, are usually on there. Violent crimes are usually on there, but uh, even uh, you know, aggravated trafficking in in controlled dangerous substances, so a drug crime, okay. is on there, and just all the all the crimes that are subject to that statute are listed in the Oklahoma code. But this. And for eighty five percent crimes, so I know like with 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 some sentences, you can be sentenced to like ten years in prison. But if you don't get in trouble and like you go to classes that they offer at the facility, mm-hmm. like you can you can earn up to three days right of yeah. credit for every like actual twenty four hour period you spend right. incarcerated, and so you can. You can serve your like you can discharge your entire ten year sentence in like three and a half years, right? Yeah. Can you do that with these? So with eighty five percent crimes, 
you, if you're sentenced to 10 years in prison, you will be incarcerated for eight and a half years. It's day for day up to the point you hit the 85% mark. And then you can get the kind of the three for one kind of, or whatever the case may be. Uh, there may be some restrictions on your eligibility for credits. If you've been serving 85%, uh, mm-hmm. if you're on an 85% offense. Um, but yeah, those, those special credits don't apply for those for folks. So it's, okay. it's, it's like in, in, in the federal system, whatever your sentence is, you got to serve that day by day. And it's the sure. same with 85% uh, offenders. But so you get the paperwork, right? You go through all of it. They have to acknowledge the constitutional rights they're giving up. They have to acknowledge, they have to say whether or not they believe their attorney has effectively assisted them. And so there are all these, these little uh, boxes you got to check and you got to have them sign it and you got to fill out a couple more forms. Um, one of them is a form that just says, here's the terms of, of probation. Uh, like they're going to do community service. They're going to be doing it for this long or that long. They're going to be paying this much in restitution. There's a separate probation form. There's a separate form called a rule eight form, which is where you, that's the form that basically gets you a payment plan for your fines and court costs. Okay. Okay. So you go through all that. You go over that with your, your client. You go over that with the prosecutor. Everybody make sure that the paperwork is correct. You take it up to the judge. The judge goes through it, brings your, your client up, runs, you know, swears them in, runs them through it, enters the plea, pronounces probation. At that point, and only at that point, does the, the, the like, probationary sentence begin, and really it begins when you take your client physically from that courtroom and walk them in Oklahoma County um, down to wherever they're going to be doing probation. If they're doing it through the DA's office, there's a DA probation window, um, uh, if they're doing it through DOC, which if you're um, serving probation on a suspended sentence, meaning a felony conviction, usually that's done through the Department of Corrections, which is in a separate office. So you get them set up on that. And then as a separate matter, you go get them set up with the court clerk cost administrator. And that is that is a, a brief interview between the probationer and the court clerk cost administrator to determine how much they can reasonably pay on those fines, fees, and court costs. Because for as a general rule of thumb, even a relatively simple uh, misdemeanor case is probably going to, by the end of it, probably going to generate about a thousand dollars in fines, fees, and court costs. Okay, I was going to ask how, what, what are the typical fines and fees in Oklahoma, and how does that compare to other states? I, I don't know exactly how they would compare to other states, and it's a lot of little things that add up. Like there's, you know, these different funds. Some of it goes to the the courthouse. Some of it goes to you know, other different different entities somewhere else, but it all adds up to what can be a pretty substantial new monthly obligation that that the the client has to pay. Sure. So. Who do? Go ahead, Scott. Do these costs like the like? And I'm I'm not talking about fines and and fees necessarily, but the specific, specifically court costs. Mm-hmm. Do they reflect actual costs, or is it arbitrary? Well, I mean, they reflect uh, costs that have been statutorily mandated. I mean, to to that extent, they've been determined to be needed. Right. And some I of guess, them do go to. Fund, I guess. I guess what know. I'm saying is like, um, is it is it determined like that the court is like okay, last year the court spent ten thousand dollars on paper, and so this year the court cost for paper mm. that is used in court. Like, is there any relationship between court costs and what it actually costs to have court 
be a thing? That's a that's a good question, and I I, I think the answer is absolutely not in any sense whatsoever. Like I think that the, like that's the, ridiculous. Well, <laughs> so you know, matching the court costs to the courthouse budget would just be. You know that that would be a very difficult kind of on the fly sure. operational thing to sure. to accomplish. But um, the uh, you'd said something about um, you know what it actually costs to run the court or what yeah, what, yeah, what the yeah. costs go to. Like for instance, every person who who is um, subject to criminal probation in Oklahoma is going to pay some kind of fine for the the offense itself. That's part of the penalty. Sure. They're also going to pay what's called a victim's compensation assessment. And so that's an easy example of kind of what you're talking about, because the victim's compensation assessment goes into the victim's compensation fund, which is a separate fund administered by the DA council that does get used to compensate victims for things like, um, well, funeral expenses and in the case of a murder, for instance. Sure. And so and like that make like that makes sense to me, because like the fine is a fine, right? Like it's not it's not paying for it's not paying for a cost that has been incurred by somebody like that is part of your punishment your penalty for the crime that you've committed right as is like you know i guess i think you could say that the victims compensation fund is both right it's part like punishment and also part like paying for costs that have been incurred and borne by someone else because of the crime that you've committed but it seems like the costs for court should try to bear some actual resemblance to like if we're going to if we're going to make criminal defendants pay for the cost of court it should like maybe reflect a little bit what court actually costs like yeah. uh, i personally think that like i don't know i mean i i and i i i think that you should run court like they should have like the justice system should have its budget and like you should budget how much the court like yeah you should you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like they sh- to yeah. me they shouldn't be connected what but I- if they are connected they should be like they should have some like reality like there should be some just 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 quickly i think one of the problems there is that um court costs are largely set by statute by the legislature and the budget for each courthouse is is established by district judges Mm -hmm. and so you know there's the district judges kind of have to do what they can to run the courthouses with the funds they have and you know frankly I've, i've spoken with judges throughout the state that really have are struggling to to run their their courthouses because even though the the fines and and costs the fines and cost burden on individual human beings are really high in lots of circumstances it's not enough to fund an adequate justice system sure well and because you as you mentioned the the court when we refer to the justice system or the courts it's not just the time in the courtroom it is the people in the exactly. yeah. the um the office where you the court clerks yeah. Payment office. Bailiffs. It is yeah. in the parole office. You have to pay That's right. all the support people, which is what's funny to me to, to be sitting here between uh, an attorney and a physician and discussing about how payment systems are operated. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get back to how healthcare costs are operated um, in a couple of months in our healthcare series. Well, I mean, it's, it's totally ridiculous. I mean, the way the healthcare costs are tabulated is absurd but that's i mean you're right that's a whole other that's a whole other like discussion it's just as interesting to me that like uh you know if you get a traffic ticket in oklahoma city you're gonna pay you know whatever your fine is and then you're gonna pay court costs and it's gonna be you know i don't like 80 bucks or something i knock on wood it's been a minute since i had a ticket but like let's say that your court costs on top of your fine is 100 bucks right like it's you're saying brian it is a hundred dollars because the legislature has said the court cost for a traffic ticket 
is $100, not because you can take that $100 and say $10 of it was the judge's salary, $5 of it was the clerk's salary, $2 was of of was paper. It's $100 because like somebody pulled that number out of the air and said this is what it costs or this is what we're going to say it costs. Yeah, I mean kind of. I mean there's there you know, like for instance, one of the costs you pay is a is like a law library fee. You know, there's those those costs do go towards a thing that actually exists and can be pointed to. Um, but as far as like matching those up, yeah, it's it's not really it's not really how the system, how the, the budgeting process works. That's for, so interesting. Well, and, and I would imagine, I mean, I think part of the concern about fines and fees in every state, but certainly in Oklahoma, is that there are such a large number of these fines and fees. Yes. Um, and we'll, for this matter, a large number of these fees, like the law library fee, mm-hmm. um, that are that are not not directly related to the punitive. Mm-hmm damages or to the the offense itself right mm-hmm. like if you know if you embezzled a thousand dollars you got to pay a thousand dollars that makes sense maybe you got to pay an extra 300 as like extra punishment right but none of what you did affected the law library and so is is some of the fee structure in oklahoma and maybe other places designed because we don't fund things like the law library and yes. so we yes. and so we decided to shift Yes, those costs to offenders. Right. Yeah, away from um, you know the 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 taxpayer right onto um, offenders, and that's like an easy political sell, but it doesn't. It's not good government. One of the things that DAs have been pretty clear on here in Oklahoma is that they th- they don't want to run their offices off of uh, uh, fines and fees and court costs and things like that. Right. They would rather be supported by the legislature. They should be supported by the legislature right. more than they are. Which is interesting. I, mean, I made a joke a minute ago about healthcare funding, but that's you know a big difference in in yeah. healthcare. That Scott works in healthcare as a physician, and his I don't know how he's paid, but I assume in most cases it's like a fee for service. And so you as a as a patient, you pay, mm-hmm. and that goes into supporting the the providers that are working there. Yeah. I've worked in healthcare for ten years, but I've worked under a, a federal grant, and they just give us a block of money and then say, "See everybody you can." Yeah. And so, um, I mean, and in theory, you could see a few people and make extra money. That's not the way it works. You see everybody you can, um, and and that's a, like a more efficient use of money. So we end up being a more efficient program because it's mm. we're not. It's not a piecewise mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So um, to kind of bring this back to, you know, maybe the some of the crimes that are being talked about in criminal justice reform in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. things like uh, simple possession. Um, things that that were crimes that are not crimes now. Yeah. Um, what uh, as a as a expert in that area, go back five years sure. uh, or so. What were the typical fines and fees that a that a client might experience if they were uh, arrested for something like that? Well, a a person arrested for a simple misdemeanor possession in Oklahoma five years ago that would have been what twenty fourteen. Okay. Um, if they're in a regular, if they're going through a regular county district court, not through any municipal court, they're first of all going to probably have to pay a hundred bucks to a bondsman to get out of jail because this is something that we were locking people up for pre-trial, um, even after 788 passed, actually. Uh, so that's the first thing that they're going to, that's the first cost that they're going to incur. And that's, that's assuming their bond was only like... Assuming their uh, bond's a thousand bucks, which is a pretty standard bond for... For possession. Simple misdemeanor okay. possession, which is... 
that's a thousand bucks, right? Somebody's got to somebody's got to pay that, and unless you can pay the whole thing upfront in cash. And he, let me just pause for a second. So there are two kinds of bonds. Well, there are three kinds of bonds in the criminal justice system. There's an OR, or pers- an own recognizance or personal recognizance bond, um, which that just means you you are released on your promise to return. You're released on your own recognizance, right? Then there's a surety bond, which is a bond posted by a bonds person on your behalf after you've paid a premium, which is 10% usually. So a hundred bucks on a thousand dollar bond. There's a cash bond. That's where you yourself go to the courthouse with a thousand dollars cash and hand it over to the court clerk. Which of those options, I mean, just putting aside the ORPR bond for a second, but which of those pay bond options, surety bond or cash bond, do you imagine is probably better long-term for the individual uh, person, defendant going through the, through the system? Well, I is there, just, a, is there an interest involved in the surety bond? Not not necessarily. I'll just jump ahead. I'm sorry to yeah, yeah. ask no, a go, go rhetorical question. But no, like if you post the full amount as a cash bond, right. that gets applied to your fines and court costs at the very end. So the same money that gets you out of jail, <laughs> if you have it, right. goes to satisfy your fines and court costs at the end. So it just it, it's like you... It's like a prepayment. Yeah, it's like a prepayment. But if you can't... If you don't have the thousand bucks to go pay right. a cash bond, you got to go pay a bonds person. That's a hundred dollars out of pocket. You don't see back. They post the bond, but that bond doesn't get applied towards your fines and fees and court costs. You got to pay all that stuff. So, anyways, I'm sorry. You got to. Yeah. So, what if, uh, what if, uh, what if Andy over mm-hmm. here, you know, gets himself arrested for, you know, something? Yeah. And uh, he's got a thousand dollar bond, and uh, he calls me up and says, "Hey, man, uh, I'm in a bad way." I'm I'm arrested. Mm-hmm. You got a thousand bucks, and I say, well, just because it's you, right. you know. Right. And so I go post a thousand dollar bond on his behalf. Like, does that does that money that I put up go to his fines, fees, and courts cost, or do I get that back? You would get it back when when the bond when the bond's exonerated, meaning the case is over and we know what happened. That bond is exonerated to go back to you. If you wanted to allow it to stay with Andy uh. to cover his fines and fees, then you could. You could do that. Do that. And, uh, okay. You know. But so, so you your first cost is your bond, unless you can post a cash bond, right? So then um, your next cost is actually the time off work that you're going to have to take in order to be sure. at your first arraignment setting. In, in Oklahoma County, you get two arraignment settings because regularly the charges aren't available until the second arraignment setting, which actually, even then, the charges may not be ready, so you may have to wait for another arraignment setting down the line. So you've paid 100 bucks to a bondsman, and you had to miss an afternoon of work to go to your first arraignment setting. You didn't get arraigned. You got to take another half day off work to go to your second arraignment setting. Let's assume you got arraigned at that setting, right? So um, you got to go get a lawyer, and you got to take all the time that it takes to so go. So you don't, you don't have one yet at your You don't have one yet. Yeah. You know why? Because you bonded out, remember? When you bond out, you are presumptively ineligible for a public defender. Even if you only paid 10% even of if what you only, bond. Yeah, even if you only paid 10%. Wait, even so if, if your you, family had to scrape, if like to empty the couch cushions yeah. and scrape, scrape together everything they had. To get 100 to come, bucks to a bondsman. To come up with that 100 bucks, you are presumed ineligible. 
for a sure. public defender if you postpone. I don't think this is written down anywhere. We try not to cuss on the show, but I'm going to just go and say, like, earmuffs, everybody. That's some bullshit right <laughs> no. there. Like, that is some hardcore is, bullshit. I mean, it's just, as long as I've been in the Oklahoma criminal justice system, this has just been kind of an unwritten understanding that if a person has the money to bond out, they're presumed to be able to afford to hire a lawyer. Wait, but it's not statute? Like, that's not like that's a, that. You probably can't write that down. Huh. But how do I guess? Well, then this is just like I mean, and I, I know I'm like constantly sidetracking us here with questions. But like, how do you get a public? Like, I thought you got a public stay in def- jail, which is so that's why people stay in jail is because they like. Let's say I was arrested for something. I've not been, um, but <laughs> I, uh, but I was truly innocent. Okay, and I just happen to have no money, which is that's more plausible than yeah. me committing a crime. And <laughs> and. But I, so I'm innocent, and I know I'm innocent, and so I have to just sit there because even if my mom sells her wedding ring and gets a hundred bucks to get me out, that would we couldn't afford the attorney after that, right? It, I mean, it's a it's a challenge. Attorneys are are expensive. Sure. Um, but you you can't. I'm just still like flabbergasted at the idea that like you can't just appear at the court and be like I would like a public defender. I can't afford a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You can, but you're going to be denied in all but the most extreme occasions when you have very good documentation of how in the world you were able to bond out and why in the world you can't afford a lawyer even though you're able to bond out. So the application for um, a, you know, a, a court-appointed attorney is one that a lot of people who even who, who have bonded out have to go through and fill out. And sometimes, sometimes it does get granted. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it is it is definitely the exception. I thought that was like in the Constitution or something. Totally is. That you get a lawyer. Yeah, you have the right to a court-appointed lawyer if you are indigent. And if you are not indigent then you do not have that right. And again, the call is, is this person indigent? And in our system, that call gets made pretty subjectively, pretty categorically yeah. on whether or not you were able to bond out. Okay. That's messed. That yeah. is, that is. So yeah. So now you, you've, that you've is messed up, man. You've gotten arrested for this thing that's about to be legal because, but you don't know that because it's 2014 and why in the world in 2014 would you think that possessing marijuana is going to be legal in Oklahoma in five years but so you've been arrested for it you've paid a bonds person you've missed work to go to your arraignment setting and you've you've done the work to hire a lawyer that you can't afford so that lawyer then goes and um, let's just say that the you, you skate through right and and you get a deal that you can live with on the first day your lawyer goes and talks to the to the da's office now because this is misdemeanor possession of marijuana mm-hmm. in 2014 that's probably going to look like a two-year deferred sentence with supervision through uh, the Oklahoma County DA's office um, along with uh, a $300 fine uh, 40 hours of community service uh, victims compensation assessment right uh, court costs all that stuff Wait, victims compensation assessment that's the thing we were talking about earlier. yeah yeah but who's yeah. Who's the victim of my possession of marijuana? The, the society is kids, the victim. Scott. Kids. I have seen. I have seen in drug uh, crime paperwork somebody list society as the victim, and the address provided was um, the DA's office. 
You're like blowing my mind over here. <laughs> I'm right. just like this is like, like exploding. Okay. So, so you get you get a two year deferred sentence on this misdemeanor marijuana arrest. Um, For our listeners, Brian keeps gesturing at me as if I'm the one that said the uh, well, it, it, as yeah. as the as the object of this story. I'm well, I mean, I think I made it pretty clear that you got arrested. Yeah, no, this is this, <laughs> this is your to, case. And asked me to bond you out, ruining yeah. my life. Right. <laughs> so you, you you've got a three hundred dollar. Fine, you've probably got a $50 victim's compensation assessment, even though the victim here is society and that money can't actually be used to compensate the victim of Andy's crime. It will go to compensate the victim of, of somebody else's crime. Right. Um, so let's say you, we're, we're going to get all that done at your, your first court setting. So you're going to probably, you're going to have to take another half day from work to go to the courthouse and go through the process of, of doing what I described at the very beginning. Going through the over the plea paperwork, going up in front of the judge with me, and then going to the uh, if this is DA supervision, you're going to the Oklahoma County DA supervision office and getting all that paperwork done. Then you're going to the court administrator, and you're going to leave the courthouse uh, owing um, a, for a misdemeanor marijuana possession easy. You're going to owe a thousand bucks. Combined fines, fees, court costs, potentially. It's, and so on top of the three days of work that you missed. On top of the three days of work that you've missed, a hundred bucks you paid to a bondsman, and whatever you've ended up paying to your attorney who who negotiated this for you. And for what you just described, what would be typical that you owe to an attorney? Uh, a, you can get a you can get an attorney for something like that. <sighs> well. Different attorneys have different yeah, ways totally, of... Totally. Sure. Well, yeah, totally. Some attorneys the, would say, I'll do this for a, for a flat fee of like a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred dollars. Other attorneys are like, you're just going to pay me a hundred bucks every time we have court. Um, and there's a great deal of of uh, gradation in sure. um, capacity sure. and, and frank skill, talent, knowledge. Sure, yeah, yeah. Different right. attorneys but I mean, but you that. could... But, it, but it's not, it is not at all unreasonable to think that on top of the... On top of the you know thousand bucks that you're out to the court, right. the three half days of work that you've missed, you could absolutely pay a thousand dollars to a lawyer to, sure. to assist you with that process, and, and that right? would be on the on the cheaper side. Yeah, okay, sure. Say like so, somewhere from a thousand to five thousand, maybe five would be. I would say five would be high for a misdemeanor marijuana right. case, right. but I'm I'm sure that fee has been paid to some lawyer <laughs> at some point for that for that. Just wish it was you, don't you? <laughs> so so you go through all that, and then so you, now you've got two years in which you not only have to pay keep up with all these obligations to the court, but you have to pay forty dollars a month to the DA's office for supervision. If this had happened a year after 2014, when there was a case at the Court of Criminal Appeals that really changed how DA supervision had to operate. And in response to that change, the legislature passed a new statute that said, okay, if you're not supervised by the DA for each of those 24 months, uh, paying them $40 a month for that service, you still have to pay the DA's office $40 a month as a reimbursement of prosecution cost. We still... Together on this, yeah. So, okay. so you're paying forty bucks either way, whether or not you're right. supervised if, by the. If DA's you're being office. supervised by the DA's office, you're paying forty bucks a month. If you're not, you're paying forty bucks a month to some other probation service, and then forty dollars a month to the DA's office as a reimbursement, 
of their prosecution expenses. How how does someone come to be not to be supervised by someone else besides the DA? Some I mean some DAs just don't offer DA supervision anymore. But they still get the charge for it. They still get that for, that separate forty dollar charge, uh, but they're not oh, that's providing the supervision. So. So there, there's all kinds of bullshit on this conversation. <laughs> all right, so I'm, uh, we're almost through what you've got to pay. I'm trying to just to, get out of the case. I'm trying to right? keep a, a running tally here. Yeah. But. So let's say let's say it's 2015, and you're one of these these new folks who who is in a, a county that doesn't offer DA supervision. So you're paying 40 bucks a month to a different probation provider, 40 bucks a month to the DA's office, whatever you're paying to the court clerk, cost administrator for your fines, fees, and court costs from the actual case. Um, Let's let's say you get through all that and you're done, your 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 case is over. You still got records out there. You got an arrest record from when you got arrested. arrested. Right. You've got all these court records. So that is a, a can be a pretty big drag on a person, especially right. a young person, because a lot of the time people who were arrested for misdemeanor possession or who were or were young people. So in addition to all that, you really should expunge all these records and being able to set a case up so that everything is expungible used to be a lot more difficult. The legislature has actually expanded expungement rights pretty dramatically over the last few years. But if you're eligible for an expungement, then you've got to not only pay an attorney to handle it for you, um, but then you've also got to pay the filing fees for the expungement and processing fees at the State Bureau of Investigation. Or, if, for instance, Oklahoma City requires a, another processing fee if you want an expungement through their system. So that's another, mm, call it 2500 bucks when you include hmm. filing fees, attorney fees, processing fees to make it so that it, it didn't happen, right? So to, to make it so that the, that the crime, legally speaking, didn't occur again so that you're fully on the other side of it you've you've gotten through probation and and expunged it right yeah those are all your i'm going to do a recap to make sure that i've got everything here so we'll go with kind of the basic scenario we've been right so let's say that i put up a hundred dollars for my bond initially to a and we're just skating by the fact that if this had been had happened in your car you might have some impound fees in addition to that right? good golly <laughs> right yeah so yeah just starting from the bond right. starting from the bond out so I'll do just just actual financial cash assessments. So $100 for the bond, um, and then well, and then there's the three half days of work. Which right, we'll which you to. may have to, you know, they're... You don't... If I work have, yeah. and I don't have paid leave or right, those kind exactly. of things. Right, yeah. um, And then of the, the various fines and fees, there was like a $300 Yeah, one. maybe a $300 fine, maybe a $50 victim's compensation assessment. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, and then your attorney's fees... As an average, two thousand dollars, maybe. Let's say fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, and then nine hundred. So two years at forty dollars a month mm-hmm. is nine hundred and sixty dollars in supervision, plus another nine hundred and sixty dollars to to the DA's office, right. um, plus another twenty five hundred for expungement on the very end. Yeah. The very end. Is there anything else? Um, you got the attorney fees. I think that you, we're not counting um, all of your actual court costs we've got the fines and the the, the probation fees okay but let's just call your court costs 700 bucks right okay okay on any individual person um it's 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 so even though you can quantify exactly what the the costs are, are going to be you can kind of you know see what you're going to expect a person to have to pay right. um altogether that that doesn't you know, it's kind of like with the, the time off from work, right? And it's even kind of like with asking for the time off from work. 
Because if you go to your boss and say, I need time off from work to go to court because I'm charged with a crime, <laughs> right, right. There's, a, there's a cost being incurred there, but you can't quite, you don't know what it is exactly. Right. It is it's it, not is a financial the, cost, but yeah, it's Is a, it the promotion you're going to miss out on right. in a year because because of this? You know, yeah. It's, it's, so like, yeah, we can we can figure out what it's actually costing people. It's costing people a lot. Um, right. The criminal justice system imposes really, really heavy costs on people. Um, but it, we can't even quantify all of those costs. Right, right. So I actually did the math here, and, it, and the numbers we we described yeah. came out to $7,070 yeah. for a, a simple possession. Yeah. And so... Over the course of, and, and over the course of yeah. three, three and a half years right. from arrest through, let's say, and again, we were kind of doing the speed it up, you you know plead right. out at your first opportunity. Uh, that's still your your financial obligations increase dramatically over a pretty significant period of time when you are arrested for a crime. Right. Well, and and you know there's been plenty of stories about the percentage of Americans who don't even have the cash on hand to survive a a five hundred dollar hit right. like an emergency. Right. That's right. Um, and so if you if you owe seven thousand over three years, that's still a couple thousand dollars a year that you didn't expect. Yeah. That's hard for any of us to exactly. come up with. And it's not, it's not like necessarily spread out in like yeah. 36 easy payments, right? Like, I mean, that's $7,000 is a decent car mm-hmm. <laughs> that you could buy, but without the opportunity. And so yeah. like many Americans, maybe you have a credit card and you apply, use that, then you're paying 15, 20% interest exactly. on this the whole time. Yeah. I, from personal experience, not criminal, but I got divorced five years ago mm-hmm. and I'm, hoping to pay off the, I use my credit card for some of my retainer on that. And I'm hoping to pay that off this year. It's been five years. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it was it's, it's not brutal. an easy process. Yeah. 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 And so, um, I, so I, I mean, it, I think we've, you've done an excellent job of illustrating how something as simple yeah. as simple possession right. that is now not a crime. That's right. But so I guess how it could totally change the course of someone's life. Absolutely. So what happens, Brian, if if someone can't pay this? Uh, if you can't pay your um, probation fees, for instance, um, or your court costs, then the DA's office will file uh, an application to accelerate or revoke your, your probation. Uh, you will be um, subject to another arrest warrant that will have to be satisfied. If there's a bond associated with it, you will have to satisfy that bond somehow. You will have to, again, go to court uh, and if you can just pay your, your, if you can pay your fines and, and court costs and get up to date, they'll they'll dismiss the application. If you can't, they'll they'll keep you on the on the on the docket until you can. And if ultimately, and if you are unable to, they'll put you put you in. So, yeah. so if I, uh, I think what you're saying in in legal ease is that if I can't pay, at some point, like right. I can't pay my DA yeah. fees or whatever. They will arrest me and I go to jail. Yeah, the the yeah the yeah. Let's right. so let's back up <laughs> to the very beginning of this story, and let's say I didn't have the hundred dollars in the first place and I just yeah. stayed in jail. Right. How does that change the story? Um, you still accumulate all the court costs. You're still accumulating court costs. You're still accumulating. Um, you're, you're losing whatever. A lot of people. I've I've sat through a lot of um, 
arraignment dockets in my time, where a video arraignment dockets, where a judge in a courthouse is talking to people one at a time who are coming, who are wearing, uh, wearing orange or wearing stripes, and they're coming up to a video mm-hmm. and they're asking for something to be done on their bond, or the judge is setting their bond, um, and just one by one, lots of them are saying, can I please bond out? I got a job. I'm going to lose it if I can't get back to it. And they, there's nothing that... Judges you know, know. I mean, judges could, could OR or PR those people so that they can go um, go, go to work, right. but they don't. As a judge, what is the reason not to do that? What's the legal reason or what's the real reason? Both. I mean, I know. I mean, that's kind of a silly question. Yeah, no, both. <laughs> like, both. No, the, I think the legal reason is every person who has been charged with a crime is theoretically a risk to A, society, or B, of flight that they will not return to court. Sure. Um, I mean, that's that's easy to not take seriously in lots of cases. Most of the people who get caught up in the criminal justice system um, aren't really a danger. I mean, but you know, Andy here, who's just right. been arrested with a joint in 2014 was, <laughs> is not a danger to, to society. And he's not a flight risk. This is right. his home. He's not going to run away for, right. for something like this. The real reason I, I think is, is, well, I can speculate about the real reasons. I think a lot of it is that judges are constantly worried that they're going to let somebody out on an OR or PR bond or on a reduced bond even, and they're going to go murder a bunch of people. And then oh. they'll, people are going to be like, well, judge so-and-so. The Willie Horton, know. Willie Horton effect. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a there is a fair amount of that out there, um, but I also think that there's just a there is a real resistance within the criminal justice system to ex- re-examine some pretty basic principles, um, some pretty basic facts about the way the system works, and you know the um, I think that the bond companies have a lot to do with maintaining the, the, the cash bail system throughout throughout the country. I think this is true. Um, well, and, and we've know. seen it at the state house. Absolutely. You know, in the last couple of years, the, the bail bondsman up there yeah. um, advocating against some of these reform yeah. measures because it, it does threaten their livelihood. And I think that's yeah. for, you know, I, Scott and I talk about this often on the show that that elected officials have an obligation to their districts, sure, and to their constituents, um, and arguably that there's a, a obligation, maybe it's not arguably, maybe they just have an obligation to trying to discern what is best for our state, mm-hmm. right, and like for the people of our state, and, and so when you have a group saying, listen, this is our jobs, well, I mean, sometimes things happen, right, like yeah. society evolves, we it moves on, and at some point, and we have to come to terms with whether or not our decisions and how we treat people in these situations is what's best for our society to move forward. Yeah. If, if the, I mean, if you're saying that this injustice must continue because otherwise I will not have a livelihood, then I think we all need to ask ourselves some questions. Yeah. Sure. No, I mean, it's just, it, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't really have a thought. It's just, it's just mind blowing to me like i can wrap my head around like i think you can make a reasonable argument about whether or not things like fines and fees are an effective deterrent to crime but like i can i can understand i can understand i can understand why those exist i think that you can ask good questions about whether or not they're effective but like the rationale is straightforward i I think but like the i don't know just the the costs and the fees and the funds and like you got to pay the da whether they supervise you or not and if they don't supervise you you got to pay somebody else i mean it's like i it's 
It's and I and it's I want to say like we don't make it easy in the arguments. Well, they're criminals. You shouldn't make it easy. And I guess maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's true to a certain extent. Like maybe there should but be punishment think, for a lo- for punishment for crimes. But at the same time, like you shouldn't. I don't know. I, I mean, think, do you see? Do you see like mm-hmm. the general like like I don't I don't even know what I'm what I'm trying to say other than it just it seems very. I was going to say it seems punitive and like, well, yes, obviously, right? Of course it seems punitive, but I th- just so too I, much. It, well, I think it's heavy handed because of um, our belief. I mean, we, we are a law and order state and I, and I totally get, I think we as, as people like to assign labels of good and bad to people, right? It helps us sort who's good, who's bad, right? I'm good. You're bad. Us, them, it differentiates, and we see this sure. throughout history, yeah, right? Sure. Like, and it's it's a it's tribalism, just of a of a judicial sort, right? And so, I think if we can, it's easier to attribute someone who commits a crime, any crime, simple possession, five years ago. Oh, well, they're a bad person. They, you know, oh, they had a joint. They must be a drug addict. They are probably dangerous as well. They, you know, and if we let them out, then they're going to do something more, and then and we have this belief that. It goes from a joint to you're murdering or raping somebody, even though we know that's not the case. Right. right. Like, like you're right. I think that you're, I think you're hundred percent right that that's the cycle that goes on. Like that's the, that's the, like, that's the, that's the argument. That's the circle of reasoning. It's just that every single step in it is wrong. Other than the fact that they had a joint, <laughs> right? Like, right. like the fact that they had a joint is the only part of that. That's like actually true yeah and it and it is incredibly frustrating to me that like you know that and i know that and i think like a lot of like that's this isn't like new this isn't brand new information right like it's kind of like i mean it's like you and in mental health right like we've known for decades that people that have mental illness are no more dangerous they're in fact less likely to commit violent crimes than the population at large but there's still this like stigma despite the fact that it's known you know mm-hmm. and and i think the same is true with the population that enters their criminal justice system um and it's frustrating to me that it's taken this long for our leaders to like not only just tacitly recognize that but also try and do some things that that actively push back right well in, I, th- I think a real point that can't be missed though and this kind of goes back to andy's point about sorting people trying to figure out who's good and who's bad <sighs> You know, go back to the, sorry, I just thumped something. Go back to the point we were making earlier about the difference between posting a cash bond and, and using a surety bond. If you have means to post a $1,000 cash bond, then already your outcomes are looking a lot better than sure. the person who's got to take $100 and say goodbye to it forever sure. to, to use a surety bond. At every stage of the criminal justice system, having more money as a, as a person coming from means, coming from wealth is going to lead you into better outcomes. So sure. if the criminal justice system is a mechanism by which we figure out who's good and who's bad, it's not. It's a mechanism by which we figure out who's poor and who's not. Mm. That's a, mm. that, yeah. is, that is an incredibly powerful point. So um, to go back to our story, Brian, we didn't discuss what happens if, if I, as the perpetrator here, yeah. decide to go to jail. So I don't seek probation. I don't yeah. plea out. I just say... You want your trial. I want my trial. Yeah. 
what happens in that scenario? That's a risky move, my friend, especially <laughs> on a on a possession of, of, of marijuana charge, right? right? Because if they found it, then your <laughs> argument for innocence in front of a jury is difficult. Right. But um, I was just holding it for my friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, you thought it wasn't a sports animal? No. It's a, there's a Pat Jones who used to be the football coach for OSU. He's got his his joke joke he always tells about players that we get caught with stuff. Now they always say, No, 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 that was, that was, that was my cousin's dope. Yeah. It wasn't mine. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's his old his thing is all <laughs> all the time. He says, Oh, this is a this is a my cousin's dope situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the uh so if you if you stay in jail, let's say you stay in jail, right? And you wanna let's say that you're not charged with well, look, okay, let's, look, I was going to try to make it more complicated and say, let's, just, let's say this is an assault and battery, like, and you got into a right. fight, okay? Um, either way, um, if you decide, you, if you can't bond out and you want a trial, um, then you're, you tell your public defender, they're like, all right, we're going to set this on trial track. It's going to take some time to get there because the, it is putting a jury together to actually try a case is a tremendously difficult and costly process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot to, to, to get that done, there's a lot of there's a lot of people standing between you and a trial whenever you're starting. So it's going to be a little while for you sitting in jail. I would expect that if you, on your very first day, on your very first meeting with your public defender, tell them, "I am not going to take any plea. I am one hundred thousand percent innocent of this uh, of this allegation, and I want a trial. Get me one as quickly as you can." They could maybe get that in six months maybe right so you're sitting in jail until that's done if you win and you're acquitted you get to get out you get to leave you wonderful just, you just have to pay court you just costs. walk out no you don't have to you no don't have to pay costs? anything no court costs you you walk out you've been acquitted you don't have it's not your fault yeah, yeah you're acquitted but guess what you don't get done for free even though it's now available to you an expungement oh really if you're acquitted you can expunge the, the arrest records and the court records but you still, still got to go pay for that. You got to pay the processing fees. You got to pay all another, of that. Yeah. So it's twenty five hundred regardless. Yeah, I mean, an attorney fee. But OSBI doesn't care that you were acquitted. They're still right. going to charge you a processing fee to process your sure. expungement. So, so now let's what, say let's say let's say that in a much more likely scenario, you are convicted. Mm-hmm. You are now responsible for court costs, which are going to be massively larger because you had a trial and a jury and. Yeah. Like now it's not just like yeah. the court costs for misdemeanor possession that the legislature yeah. made up. Now it's now it's like Yeah. And it's whatever sentence that you were that that was imposed by the jury you found you and the max you know um 5 years ago for misdemeanor possession was a year. So you could get a year in the county jail. You'd probably get credit for time served. So you'd only be doing another 6 and what, it's not day for day, so you could probably get out in another 90 days. So mm-hmm. So what is your what would your court cost be for a trial like that? That's a good I I, I don't know. That's a good that's a good question. Is yeah. is there an option in between these two scenarios? So the first scenario was that I pled guilty, mm-hmm. got probation, got out. I was able to go about my life, keep mm-hmm. working or whatever. Second scenario was did not plead guilty, claimed yeah. innocence, stayed in one or didn't win whatever. One or didn't win, right. Is there a scenario where a person could plead guilty but recognizes they can't afford probation for some reason and decides no, like decides to do time served. Uh, I mean, if, if a person I've, I've definitely, um, I know that a, a prosecutor will give you uh, jail time in lieu of, you know, 
So other, I, yeah, other I guess kinds of that's my question is of, if they want to give you probation, you're like, but I can't pay any of those things. Can I just do some time in jail instead? Right. I, I, this, I, I bet they'll this, take that. No, this is real. Can you can you be like, look, I have a job. I want to keep my job. Can you like. Can I be in jail at night? Like, can I come to jail and sleep? Can I come to jail on the weekend? Yeah, yeah, weekends, yeah. And like, yeah, Oklahoma County has a weekend jail program. They don't like it that much, though. People have a, pro- you know, getting, you have to get to the jail by like 5 p.m. on Friday, and then you get out at like 10 in the morning on Sunday, uh-huh. and it's just really easy to miss that 5 sure. p.m. on Friday check-in time. And, you know, it's, I've I've seen it, I mean, I've had clients who did, uh, things like that in the past. But the, the last time I talked to anybody at the DA's office here in Oklahoma County about uh, uh, weekend jails, they were like, eh, we're really not liking that too much anymore. So to kind of bring this all like home to what happened in Oklahoma this year specifically, there's really like, there's two main, two main things that happened in Oklahoma this year, right? We got retroactivity for state yeah. question 788. And then the other thing is the fines, fees and costs now will not go to the court that assessed them, right? They will go to the general revenue. They go to the general revenue fund, and then they go back to either the DA council or the courts. I, I think that's how that works. So it's 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 not just appropriated. I thought I thought it was like I thought it was they all go into GR, and then the legislature appropriates whatever they're going to appropriate, well, and that, that's all the money. But I think they appropriate it to those two entities. Is it a one for one? Oh, oh. Like you know what I mean? Like let's say like I'm and I'm this I'm just making up like entities here. So mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me what the actual sure. example would be. But like let's say that the Oklahoma County District Court is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that they uh, assessed a million dollars in fines, fees, and costs in the fiscal year 2020. Mm-hmm. Is the legislature has to appropriate them a million dollars, or can they appropriate them five hundred thousand? Or can they appropriate them a million and a half? I'm not, like, does the legislature get to appropriate whatever they want? I'm not, I'm not sure, but my understanding of how this worked was kind of that it worked the um, the the first way, the one to one. Yeah, that it's one that that whatever would have just stayed with that entity now does a detour through the general fund and goes to the um, the appropriating agency, which in the case of the district attorney's offices would be the district attorney's council which is how da's the da's council the da council works now they get their appropriations from the state and it gets divided up among each da's office i think that's how it's still going to work it just goes through the general fund first right i think so this is my question was kind of related to where scott was going with that but let's say we change the system mm-hmm. right so that we we reduce these fees or or change things in in your opinion, mm-hmm. again, this is one man's opinion, yeah, right? Yeah. But how do you see like what's a what's a good way we could change things that would that would be meaningful to people, and, and what would the impact of that be on the state? I think that you know, what do the courthouses need to operate? What do the DA's offices need to operate to um, to fulfill their their functions? Let's see what those numbers are, and then let's appropriate them. The money that they need to do the jobs that they are are, are supposed to do. Let's even say let, that we recognize that a lot of these people are overworked and underpaid currently, and let's let's pay them appropriately for their for their labor. Um, that's a good start. If we just say what do these entities need, and rather than sending them off to essentially extract their own funding from the 
community that they're technically supposed to be serving. I mean, you're right. represented by the DA who is prosecuting you, right? I mean, you're represented by the judge who's imposing sentence on you. I mean, these, so we're all, we all have an interest in seeing these public institutions work correctly and be appropriately funded and seeing the people who run them be compensated for, for what they do. Right. I think that's, that's where it should start. It seems like it's, I mean, it just seems like from a common sense and then like a just, you know, ethical, like legal, moral standpoint, mm-hmm. like these things should be totally, they should be totally separate, right? Like, I shouldn't have an incentive as a judge or a DA to impose a stricter fine because we need the money. <laughs> but it happens. And there, I remember a couple of years back, this is just ringing a bell where there was like a judicial conference. And I, I, I think the judges got told you got to start imposing like a specific fine for every DUI or something, or the court system isn't going to, isn't going to operate things like that. It just, it's happens. It happens. And here's the thing that I really try to impress on people whenever I can, the extent to which what seems absolutely intuitively just brain dead fair to most people just has no, no interaction with the criminal justice system. At times there was a a bill that got uh, passed off the house floor with 101 votes this last session. That was a, that was uh, sponsored by Representative Forrest Bennett. For those that, playing the home game, that's literally every that's member. That's every of the House. single member of the Oklahoma House of Representatives. That's happened like two times. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it was a bill to uh, make it so that if you were if you were not if you couldn't go to your court date because you were locked up in another county that you didn't incur any penalty for that, and it, it just seems so bonehead obvious that that is a fair thing. 101 people in the Oklahoma legis- in the Oklahoma House voted for that proposition. But inside the criminal justice system, it is simply routine that if you are not there in court, regardless of where you are, regardless of whether we know you're locked up in a county somewhere else, bond forfeit, Bailey and bond forfeited, alias warrant entered. That's it. That should also apply if you're in a hospital. Yeah. Right. Because that happens too, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. uh, he can't come to court. He's on a ventilator. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you shouldn't but, be you shouldn't be fined for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just one of, it goes to I think really highlight the extent to which institutions change the people inside them to the point where what seems completely absolutely common sense fair to everybody will just not even occur to the people inside the system because that's that's the power of institutions. So we've uh Ryan, we've talked through a couple of, you know, fictitious scenarios here and we said that a a simple possession like marijuana possession charge might result in about a seven thousand dollar cash outlay from that person over the next three years cost of three years right and this was happening thousands of times a year every year right for years and years and years now that 780 is passed simple possession is no longer a prosecutable offense. Not really. I mean, 788 made um, or, yeah, 788. Mr. possession by a person without a patient license a, um, a $400 fine only offense. Um, and a, the the new statute uh, that goes into effect next month even spells out with a little more clarity how that stuff works. So we've, we've essentially decriminalized simple possession of marijuana in Oklahoma right. in a pretty substantial way. And so, and regardless, just the passage of uh, of 788 yeah. and yeah. medical marijuana laws, we've seen uh, something like four percent of the population now. 150,000 people have a license, right? Patient like, licenses. Um, it's been really yeah. fascinating hearing those numbers. So, yeah. 
like you said, we've effectively decriminalized marijuana for for most intents and, and purposes. really reduced the, the the potential range of punishment for uh, uh, drug possession crimes across the board and property crimes right. across the board. Seven eighty and seven eighty one really really had a profound effect on the system. So what is that? reduction in fees right like it's a reduction in revenue for the court system all these people who used to be and i mean there was a as as we talked about early on in this episode there is a there is an expense that the 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 court system the judicial system incurs to Mm -hmm. process and do all this Mm -hmm. and so there's not that expense but there's also not that income right um do you think that they there's going to be a, a a positive or negative increase or positive or negative impact on the the net revenue of the judicial system because of these legal changes? It's a very good question. And I, I don't know, now that we've had, so 780 and 781 went into effect July of 2017. So we've had about two years right. of, of data to see like whether, um, how, how the court systems are doing. I don't, I have not heard of any real... Right. Well, the projection, right, was that 780 would save us so much money. Right. And that that savings, I guess the assumption was that we were spending more money than we were bringing in. So that it cost more to process these individuals than it did what they paid. And so we would save money and that savings should be redirected. That 781 said we should redirect that savings into creating drug treatment programs to, uh, to help with that. To my knowledge, we've not actually set up or funded any of those programs yet. I don't think we have. That's the seven. Uh, yeah, that's the the seven eighty one side of it. Um, well, so like, first of all, the um, the savings were intended to come out of corrections, right? So, and it's, let's just. I mean, I, I think that will eventually bear out. I think that reducing the number of reducing who are, are just on. And on a felony track from the very beginning, is is probably going to reduce the number of people overall who who get incarcerated. That's mm-hmm. that was the the point. I think it's going to achieve that. Um, but those savings are going to come on the correction side. The cost on the court side and on the DA side could really actually be substantial. And here's here's why because I think a lot of where the you know it's like my understanding from talking to people who are like daily practitioners in the criminal court still is that it's the misdemeanor revocation dockets where we're really seeing the effect of 780 because instead of all of these people who are on the felony track, they're now all lumped into the misdemeanor pile. Um, and, you know, misdemeanors are, well, misdemeanors is typically where you, you train new prosecutors, right? Mm-hmm. If people are fresh out of law school, they go handle misdemeanors and you divide those up among however many misdemeanor DAs you have, or, or if you're in a smaller county, you've, you know, maybe have one person handling misdemeanors and other people dividing up the, the felonies. But since so many more of those cases, instead of going to felony judges and felony prosecutors are now all going to misdemeanor judges and misdemeanor prosecutors. And since that many more people being on probation for misdemeanors while having pretty serious substance abuse problems, because you don't you know, I mean, the 780 dealt with the more serious uh, drug offenses, mm-hmm. like cocaine, methamphetamines, um, things like that. You got a lot of people on misdemeanor probation who really do need pretty serious services, re- substance abuse services. Um, they're they're not getting them. They're on these misdemeanor uh, 
probation sentences that are again imposing these heavy costs on people because they still got to pay the right. 40 bucks a month and all that they're not being able to do it so they're going into the misdemeanor revocation docket where we handle people who haven't been able to keep up with their fines or their their court costs and it's just an explosion of work for the line prosecutors and the 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 judges who are actually responsible for for that stuff right so it sounds like while positive it's it's definitely addressed some problems but it's maybe created some some new situations we're going to have to deal I, with i think that we are probably living through the beginning of a major change in what I'll call the market for criminal justice in, in Oklahoma, meaning not only the courts and the DAs and all that stuff, but the private practitioners. Like I am, mm -hmm. I, I have heard directly from a lot of people. I don't do nearly as much criminal uh, defense work as I, as I used to. It used to be all I did. Um, and now it's very little of what I do, but the people who still do it every day are really seeing a change economically um and there i think that it's gonna i don't whenever you make a really major change like that yeah. who knows what's gonna happen sure i think that we're moving in the right direction but there is a lot that's gonna have to get sorted out so that that actually is a perfect lead into the last question that i was gonna ask you um so you're the like i don't know i had a i had a professor in medical school who would always say uh if she was the benevolent dictator of the world here's mm -hmm. what she would do so you're the benevolent dictator of criminal justice reform in oklahoma um, from where we are now, mm -hmm. 780, 781, 788, kind of current situation, what's your like, what are you, in your opinion, top three things that Oklahoma needs to do to address our problems in criminal justice reform? And I'm going to leave that super mm -hmm. broad so you yeah. can kind of, what do you think the top three things are that we need to do that would make this a better system, both for the, the public at large, but also for people, you know, defendants and otherwise who interact with and use the system yeah. on a, on a regular basis. It's a great question. I love just being able to put that, you know, that imagination hat on for a second. I, I don't know that I could think much beyond this though. If I were given czar authority over the entire Oklahoma criminal justice system, I would spend all my time working to reform how juveniles are treated, how kids are treated. And I would Frankly, I would probably expand my personal definition of kid to be anybody entering the criminal justice system at any time before they're 25. I mean, I, I, I was going to say 24, but 25 yeah, works. I mean, <laughs> I, I've represented a lot of, of young people in the criminal justice system, and they're they're treated in different ways at different stages of their life and depending on what has, has happened to them. But we are absolutely brutal to young people in the criminal justice system and it is a moral travesty and we do it in lots of different ways and if i had total czar authority to to do whatever i wanted i actually wouldn't be doing like trying to save money or any of that stuff i would just be trying to fix that because it's it's terrible that sounds like a whole podcast episode right <laughs> yeah. there that's a new series down right. the road brian thank you very much for being here with us thanks guys appreciate it thanks again to brian jones for joining us for this episode Next week, for our third and final episode in this series, we'll be joined by freshman member of the Oklahoma House of Representatives, Gary Mize, who entered the legislature after state questions 780 and 788 had both passed, to get his take on where we go from here and how we continue this trajectory towards reforming the state's criminal justice system. Now, before you go, please, if you don't mind, just take a quick minute to share this episode on 
social media, right? Like a quick tweet or a Facebook post goes a long way to helping this information get out to other Oklahomans. And the more folks have information, the better we are as a state equipped to try to make some of this change actually happen. And if you're feeling extra generous, I know Scott and I would really appreciate if you would rate and review Let's Pod This in the Apple Podcast Store so that listeners can help find this a little more easily. Thanks. Have a great week.